Welcome to the Holden Village Podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. I am Joe Davis. I am a nationally touring spoken word poet based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, I came to Holden Village as a teaching artist to, to share my experiences as a poet. I've been professionally teaching and touring for the last several years um, and just sharing my passion. And I think it's, it's really cool. I'm super grateful to be able to actually pursue my passion as, as a profession. Like not everybody can say that, that they get to do what they love for a living. So I'm, I'm really humbled uh, for that and get to share some of that with, with the villagers here and just share my story and, and why I think poetry is so powerful and so important because oftentimes I think uh, people have misguided ideas about poetry. We kind of get stuck in this archaic sense. Um, they think it has to be stuck to the page. They think it, it's oftentimes in like Shakespearean English. Um, but it doesn't always have to be that. And that's not to say that there, like, there's some brilliant Shakespearean poetry. Like, I love Shakespearean poetry as well. But what I bring is spoken word poetry. And that is um, poetry that is intended to be allowed and, and embodied um, and active and living and breathing. And so uh, I bring that energy with me wherever I go. And I really wanted to to shine a light on that world. It has a deep-rooted culture and history, too, of, of how it came to life. Because actually, the origin of poetry was not even written. Like, it, it comes from the oral traditions of, like, ancient West African griots, who would, who would, from generation to generation, they would pass on the stories of their villages um, through song and, and dance and poetry. And every culture... Not even just in West Africa, but every culture uh, research has proven have something similar to the griots that have passed on stories through like poetic forms, oral oral traditions. And then uh, it wasn't until like the invention of like the Gutenberg printing press that could mass produce literature where the written word became more important than the oral word. Um, and so... Yeah, just, just trying to re-enliven that oral tradition and the significance of, of like preserving our culture through this art form. That's, that's a big part of what I do. Um, and I also talk a lot about how my work lives at the intersections of not only art, but also theology and social justice. I just graduated from Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota with a master's in theology of the arts. And so um, a lot of people are like, what's that? I don't even, I've never heard of that before. Master's in theology of the arts. What do you even do with that? And so I try to explain that because for me, it seems like obvious that those things go together, but this doesn't seem that way to everybody. Um, I look at the world through, through a, a poetic lens where everything seems as metaphor. Um, as, as a person, I see God as the ultimate artist, as the ultimate creator, the ultimate poet, and we are God's poetry. 
And so in that, we, we also reflect uh, God's artistry and God's creativity. We're created beings. And so in us, we have a creative spark. And so I just want to fan the flame and, and like encourage people to also be creators. And that's where I see the, the social justice coming in, because when we're not aware of our power to create, then oftentimes we can just just go along with whatever other people tell us to do. And, and when we're doing things, when we're forced to do things that people tell us to do or things that we don't want to do, that's a kind of slavery. That's a kind of uh, uh, oppressive system that oftentimes we live in and we're not even aware of it. We become complicit in these systems and, and we're just, just working to survive and we're not thriving. We're not living full lives. Um, and so what I hope to ignite in people is a realization of their their creative sensibilities because even when people don't identify as artists um as poets as writers as dancers performers that's not even necessary for for me i feel just just to connect with that part of you that is is creative that part of you that i think is also connected to the divine and recognizing that that you do have a power to to change yourself and to change the world. Some people forget that we have that power. And so um, they just become slaves to the system, complicit, compliant. And so in, in a lot of my writing workshops in the circles that we build together, I say it's a co-learning environment because I'm learning just as much from other people as they're learning from me because they carry with them their own experiences, their own wisdom. Um, and I'm bringing my life experiences and my wisdom, and we're all sharing that together, and we're co-creating this together. And what we do in the classroom space is just practice. So oftentimes, say we're practicing freedom, um, we're practicing co-creating together, so that we can better do it out in the world. Um, and that's what I try to bring in every space that I come to, is that reminder and that affirmation and honoring of, of like the whole person, who people are to, to exercise their human agency, their creativity and, and to show up unapologetically in that. Um, Cause I think that's what true freedom is. Being able to be your full self unapologetically without fear. Um, there's a quote by a popular theologian, Howard Thurman. It's one of my favorite quotes. And he says, uh, don't ask what the world needs ask what makes people feel truly alive because what the world needs are more people who are truly alive and so that's like a driving inspiration in the work that i do um to help people feel truly alive i'm curious yeah. do you have um any tools or things that you could offer that or you know questions that you probe or ask people that uh gets them into that creative uh space that yeah absolutely I have collected a multitude of tools and tactics throughout my years um, and to, you know, to get people into that creative space. Because like I said earlier, um, folks just don't always, that doesn't always resonate with them. They're, they're, they're so disconnected from that part of themselves. Like I am not an artist at all. <laughs> like that just seems absurd to a lot of people. But uh, for me, it's all about intentionality. From the moment people step, step foot in whatever room that I'm teaching, have things set up so for one i have a circle and then and, and circles in and of themselves i think are are like powerful and revolutionary because in that we are all like at an equal 
level playing field. We can see each other's faces. We're looking at each other. There's not any hierarchical like structure set up. We're just sitting together where we can easily, comfortably hear and see each other um, in this open space. And so that already kind of sets people at ease and in a space where they can start to um, just be themselves. And, and, and I try to tell people from the, from the get-go, like, just say how you feel. Like, there's no right or wrong. Like, you feel how you feel. And I want to honor your experience. Even if you are uncertain, even if you don't know, um, just share. Just, like, like take yourself out of, outside of your comfort zone a little bit. And I talk about how um, we can't grow unless we're uncomfortable a little bit. Um, that's a basic concept in all of life. Like, when, when you know, when people are working out. And they're tearing the muscles and you get the scar tissue and it grows and it stretches and it gets gets bigger and stronger. Or even when we're giving birth, birthing something new, the process of birthing is uncomfortable, <laughs> you know. And just like those those very physical, um, that very physical discomfort that, that's felt in growth, the same thing's going to happen um, in our inner world as well. As we're learning new concepts, as we're challenging ourselves to, to write to explore, to imagine. And so I talk a lot about embodied imagination. And um, that's that's like this developing of our imagination where, where you know, there's this thought of do we, do we think ourselves into a new way of being or do we become, be ourselves into a new way of thinking in a sense? I think it's a little bit of both. But um, when I talk about embodied imagination, that's us like, Activating our imagination and then using our bodies to connect with what we're thinking, what we're dreaming about. And so when I when I have a writing poetry workshop, this is one of the, the tools that I use is it's not just us sitting in chairs, writing poetry like that's part of it. And it kind of starts off like that. But then I get people standing up and I get them reading their poems out loud. But they're not only reading their poems out loud, but also exploring how are they expressing what they want to express beyond just the words on the page. How are they using their facial expressions? How are they using their body language? Um, the way in which they say it as well. And then I take it a step further and we, we delve into like um, social justice theater and, and uh, different activities where we're not just staying in our seats, where we're actually moving around the room and we're creating things together. And it's still poetic. We're still playing with metaphor and, and simile and, and um, having fun with language but we're embodying it, we're using our bodies. And I think that that mind, spirit, body connection is essential in transformation and essential in being our full selves in the world. Um, and I think that's something that oftentimes the education system misses. I grew up sitting down the entire day. Only time I got to play was during recess or gym class. Um, but I would prefer that um, as, as students of life, as human beings, like we need to move more. I don't think our bodies were built to be so stagnant and stationary. Um, and I think the more we're able to connect to our bodies, the more we're able to connect to each other, the more we're able to connect to the world. And so I try to use poetry to get us to do that. Did you say social justice theater? Yes. So social justice theater is a way of using um, theatrical play to explore social justice um, issues. 
And so oftentimes we'll, we'll pose a question or an idea to the group. We'll have conversation around it, kind of get those creative juices flowing. And we'll break up in different groups. We'll try to act out different scenarios, um, whether it's a scenario that they they've witnessed or experienced of unfairness or injustice, and then they'll or there'll be ones that they've seen that that were just. But really, where where the uh, the transformation oftentimes happens is in the transition from the injustice to the justice. So, for instance, something that I might do is have people act out a scene that they've experienced injustice and then they'll do this in groups. Um, and then the rest of the group will watch, but they won't know what the injustice is that's happening. Like the, the group won't say anything. This will be done in silence. So they're playing out this scene and we're watching this as observers and, and we see something and we may not know exactly what's going on, but we'll feel something in our bodies. Like this doesn't feel right. This doesn't look right. Um, and when that scene's done, then we'll have some time to reflect. But then the justice part comes in um, when they have the opportunity to intervene and, and act in a redemptive way where they'll play out the scene again. But then folks from the audience are invited to, as the spirit moves, to intervene and change that scene in whatever way they want to. And so what that does is something that happens inside of people, even though we're just acting, quote unquote, there's things that are happening in our minds, in our in our bodies as we're moving to change these these scenarios of injustice. And, and like I said before, this is all practice. Practice makes progress. You, I always say you do best what you do most. So the more we're able to like exercise our imaginations and exercise our bodies to intervene in injustice, the better we can do it when we actually see it happen in our real lives. It's like muscle memory. Um, and I think there's this social phenomenon called bystander effect. And that happens when you see something uh, happen that you know in your body isn't right, but we legitimize not acting because we're like, oh, well, that doesn't involve me. Or somebody else will, will intervene. Or, you know, we, we come up with a list of reasons, of excuses, really, um, or are we just freeze up in the moment for fear? Um, but if we have practice, if we're able to practice our practice with our imaginations, practice with our bodies of how to act in those moments, then when that happens, we'll know what to do. We're like, our bodies will have that muscle memory and we'll say, I know what to do. I've done something like this before. And we can intervene in appropriate ways. And so instead of being bystanders, we can be upstanders. And, and that's the hope of social justice theater is that we can we can train ourselves um, to act for justice. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.